Hello fellow humans, this is Nick and welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about how our practice has changed over the past three years, taking a macro view of health with our patients, a shift away from passive modalities, and the Protect Correct Develop framework that we use to guide us in our clinic uh, and with TFC. This episode is sponsored by Nanook Protective Hard Cases. They're our new official travel sponsor, and they make some badass cases to protect your stuff when you're traveling. They're made in Canada, they're built to last forever, and you can configure them for whatever you want to transport. We just received our new 995 rifle case, which will be our new beam transport case for uh, for when we go on seminars. Uh, you can check them out at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com for more info. Uh, just a one sponsor today, so let's get right into it. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. All right, guys, Nick and Mike here for Shop Top episode number two. So how do you think your practice has changed in terms of, you know, globally in the past three years? Because we, I know I've changed and, well, both of us have. We both work in the same physiotherapy clinic in Ottawa. And I think in the past three years, we've changed how we treat drastically. You know, I look back at charts from three years ago and I'm like, God damn, I sucked back then. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but describe to me, you know, in a nutshell, how you think your practice has, has shifted. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. So we actually started working at uh, at Optimized Physiotherapy about three years ago. Before that, I was even more confused as to what I was doing, but <laughs> that at least gave us a uh, a start and kind of freedom to treat differently. Because I think we got to first talk about in order to treat effectively, you need to have an environment that allows you to treat effectively. Yeah, and that's the missing link with a lot of clinicians these days is that they work in uh, a practice or a place that is seeing three to four people an hour, and they just don't have the opportunity to actually do what they they need to do. Even if they know what they should do, they don't yeah. have the opportunity to. Wow, that's so crazy! And actually, a girl that was um, a, a physical therapist that was at our seminar in Toronto came up to me at one point and said, how do you treat someone in 15 minutes? And I was like, you know what? That's a good question. And I don't think you can. No, exactly. And she said, so how, So, what's the solution? And I basically said, like, find a clinic that you can work in that has the mindset of you can pick how long you spend with patients. Because, you know, she asked, how long do you spend on an assessment? How long do you spend on a follow-up? And I told her, we, you know, one, we bill per hour, which I think is the best way for physical therapists to bill is bill for their time, right? Why is an assessment billed at a different time rate than a follow-up it just doesn't make any sense um and you know she said you know i see four pa- four patients an hour i only get 15 minutes how long is your follow-up and i told her you know we we recommend a 40 minute follow-up at least but a lot of people because we have an hourly rate you know you have patients i have patients that'll book an hour because that's how long they want you know people will drive from toronto uh, to come see one of us and they'll book two hours and that's fine and i think you're right in order to change the way you treat you got to change you have to change the framework that the business you work for is working under because the one we're doing right now, the one that you see in 90% of physio clinics in Ottawa in particular um, is such bullshit and it's not sustainable. Like spending 15 minutes with another person um, as a physical therapist is like, that's how long it takes for me just to chat about what they've been working on and how things are going, let alone being able to actually do a treatment. It's crazy. And that's where basically when, the, when the change happened for us, that's where we, myself and you as well um, got away from the modality based treatment so I think that a lot of these these modalities that physios chiros uh, other health professionals use a lot of it is just 
time fillers, right? Yeah, and that, the time Crazy. filler is just basically to sustain and support the business model with which um, the physios are having to treat within. So it's like, um, you know, there is some research here and there. It's very scant, though, uh, on all these modalities, ultrasound. Well, tens. ultrasound is the worst fucking thing ever. It's such, it's so silly. Like, there's literally nothing, no research that someone with half a brain would look at and say, this is an effective modality. And yeah, especially, or an the, effective use of time. Or an effective use of time, especially an effective use of time. It's like, can they do ultrasound at home? No. Is ultrasound actually doing something to address the root cause of why that's why that specific tissue is being under threat? No. Why the hell are we using it? It's exactly so. Yeah. I really think it's just a big part of it is just a, a time fillers. It's turned into time mm-hmm. fillers yeah. so that the therapist can then see more people. Well, and you can so, get unskilled non-therapists um, to you know actually do Im- implement those modalities. And all someone has to know how to do is press the on button and wave a magic wand around. Exactly. And that's just so deeply ingrained. So, I mean, I would say the first thing that's changed is that I've switched to an environment that's allowed me to get away from all of these things that I knew inherently didn't didn't work or wasn't doing what I needed to be doing. It was just kind of a gross misplaced precision. And and like Mm -hmm. it it wasn't a a good use of my time as a therapist to help somebody in the grand scheme of things. And you're still trying Um, to help people, right? Like you're you're going into it. There's a lot of therapists working under those structures that have good intentions. I think everyone for the most part, goes on physical therapy because they're trying to help people, right? They're not trying to be get lucrative and make tons of money. Um, it's They're trying to help people in whatever way that they see fit. And if your company forces you to spend 15 minutes per, per, with each person, you're going to still do the best you can in 15 minutes. But it really is, um, it puts a ceiling on the way, on how effective you can be, basically. I was kind of what I told that girl. I was like, you know, do your best with what you have right now. But what you should always be looking at is to try and shift to a place that lets you treat effectively and for to do that you got to spend one-on-one time with patients right now one not not four on one you're not seeing four patients in a given hour you're seeing one person working with that one person making sure that you know that session is is and and i think our approach is mainly based on movement and education more so than just controlling symptoms and using passive modalities and i think that's that should be um the gold standard that should be what they're teaching in school but it's, it's it's not what's happening right now. Exactly. So I think that like the place that we have right now in terms of all it is is beds, a few beds, treatment beds, mm-hmm. because I think that uh, I still use um, manual therapy when it's placed well within a treatment session. Manual, uh, manual therapy, therapy in- is in um, anything like I would consider that uh, tissue work, massage work, um, uh, anything dry needling i would mm-hmm. anything that i am doing to the to the patient that mm-hmm. they can't do themselves i would yep. consider manual therapy so um there is still a time and a place for that so I agree. we have you know our, our beds that that allow for that um but then the majority of it is just open space and uh, you know fundamentally it just looks like a gym space yep. and i think that's the where where it needs to go is just open movement space to teach people how to move how to mobilize um you know how to perform these tissue techniques on themselves uh, with weights kettlebells dumbbells mm-hmm. a variety of different loads that you can test people's movement with um so again the environment is is key to be able to treat um in this manner so that mm-hmm. was the first thing that changed um and it's called the, physical therapy for a reason yeah. right like if you're spending 90 percent of your time not moving not being physical in physical therapy that's not physical therapy right that's bullshit therapy that's the the 
status quo right now, but you, the session should be physical. You should be physically moving, learning movement, being coached on movement, understanding how to do this stuff on your own, how to move at home. And that's just, it was such a disconnect too, even coming out of school. Like there was really not, I think, you know, it's easy to pick on physical therapy based on what we know now, but I think all health healthcare and and physical fitness realms are in the same boat where what's being taught in these traditional institutions is so far behind what we what we know to be true now and what we know to be effective now and that's i think where things need to change you know you see um the medical system trying to shift um you know especially with us getting more involved with RU medical residents but i really think we need to push this and and keep you know making one little inch forward we got to keep trying to push for 10 more feet instead of just being happy with incremental progress it's like this needs to be rebuilt and so how do we how do we get a plan to actually do that because the ground up is the way that that we're taking right now and that's yeah. i think the most still going to be the most effective way because it's like if you just show i think it's just so deeply ingrained within physical therapy specifically um you know, all this modality based treatment. Now, if you show your clients and patients that here's another way of doing things and they connect with that and they get better from that and they like that, they like a different approach. Cause I think when people come to us, they're, they're getting something way, way different than what they typically get. Um, so that is just, that spreads, right? Somebody, somebody tells another person, they tell their family, etc. Um, but really I think another thing that, I've switched is to looking at more of a global picture and mm-hmm. trying to be less, um, you know, less looking at the looking at these little small things that really don't matter in the long run. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe getting into some of the things we look at with our initial assessments is where it can go next because that's mm-hmm. changed a lot in the past three years for me. I used to look at um, yeah, taking a more macro approach to health because yeah. we're actually might be the only ones, you know, we have an hour to sit down with someone and the initial assessment especially is a key one for me because you might be the only person to ever talk to this person to date about the basics of sleep. Like it's pretty easy. How many hours of sleep do you get per night? What position do you sleep in? And the only position to stay away from is on your stomach so that your head's not jacked up to one side and your diaphragm's unable to breathe. But, you know, just the basics of saying, yeah, you should be getting eight hours of sleep per night, at least giving yourself an eight hour window to, to get sleep per night. You, you know, having a cursory conversation about diet, you know, eat things that don't come in cardboard boxes. You know, you might be, we might be the only person to talk to that person about it. And I I really think the definition of physical therapy, um, should be like, we're human therapists, right? Like we help people with their physical health, have a more optimal life with their physical health, which also includes mental health, which is why we have a float tank in our clinic, which also includes what they put in their mouth and how much sleep they're getting, because those things do affect recovery and, and, um, you know, the effectiveness of our treatment. If, if we're helping someone work on their body, but they sleep four hours a night and they sleep like shit and they're putting garbage in their body, their recovery in terms of getting out of pain and, and you know, just the fact that their body's being redlined 24-7 is going to make recovery much more difficult. So I think exactly. we need to take a more macro approach. And the, just on that note too, it's like we, I found I've been looking at the person trying to figure out like what this person's life is like and what their environment's like Mm -hmm. and you can kind of be somewhat of their coach in that respect so like you mentioned it's like okay well the when the topic of sleep comes up that's one thing we can look at um another thing is like okay what is your environment like where do where are you placing your body in your waking hours like Mm -hmm. what's your what positions are your body in yeah and a lot of people like they've never they haven't thought twice about this so it's like the you know the, the classic um 
desk jockey environment where they're working, you know, they're sitting at the breakfast table, waking up, driving to work in, in a car in that city position all day at work. Mm-hmm. Um, the sitting just adds up to like most of their waking hours. So you got to be almost a coach there and say, like, do you realize that you're placing your body in this position all day? Yeah. Um, can we maybe uh, implement this in this position when you're at home? Can you sit a bit on the floor? Yeah. Can you take an extra walk at Give lunch? Give them strategies. Because uh, they don't strategies, right? These are bigger pictures than you doing micro movements at your knee. It's like, let's look at what you're doing globally with your body um, and try to implement some strategies where you can actually, um, you know, develop lifelong strategies. Because really, another thing I've been looking at is when I treat somebody in the clinic, I'm not looking at as much of a short-term approach anymore. Mm-hmm. I want them to get out of pain. And I always tell them like, okay, the, the short-term goal is to get you out of pain and to address why you're coming to see me. But by moving better, you get people out of pain. Like yeah. it's almost... Getting out of pain is almost like a side effect of optimal of effective treatment is where exactly. I look at it now. And then so but the bigger picture is that I want to help them be better for one year down the road, five years, yeah. uh, 20 years down the road. I want them to age much better based on the treatment than I've been able to give them. Yes. And that is like not, that's like literally all the way through their entire life. If, if they're implementing these strategies and um, ways of moving, um, strategies for mobilizing, keeping things moving well, mm. um, I want to give them these tools that they can actually use. And I always tell them that. And then they're like, oh, okay, this makes much more sense than just zoning in on this little side of pain and yeah. making it a big deal deal when so if, if you're missing the big picture um i don't actually i don't want you to come back to see me if you if you don't need to come see me i don't want you to and, and that's five years from now all the way through the rest of your life um so that so that's kind of what's changed about me bigger and bigger bigger picture over time mm-hmm. um all the way to you know the elderly people who i see um I've actually changed my approach on them too. I'm, I'm trying to make them more robust and resilient. So it's, we always look at that too in the clinic. It's like, can you get up and down off the ground, for instance? And that's just one of the things that if you can give an elderly person strategies to actually move better, you're going to improve, you're, you're going to improve their longevity. Like it's a simple their life. That. And we know the effect of movement on the brain. And mm-hmm. like, it sounds kind of, you're going to add years to their life. Though. I know. And it sounds weird to say it, but you're literally helping people live longer and live a significantly better life through this tiny snapshot of time that you have with them every day. And it's, it's crazy powerful to see in some the feedback you get from some older people and you tell them, you know, you know, it's, I think you've had these people where it's like, okay, let's get your shoes off. And they're hesitant to do that. But then when they do it, they're like, oh my God, I have my balance is better. I just feel like I'm moving more freely. You say, okay, let's see what you look like getting up and down off the floor. First thing it says, oh, no, 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 I don't go to the floor. That's not something I do. It's like, okay, perfect. I'm glad you said that because that's the first thing we're going to work to. Because one, it's a safety problem if you can't get yourself up off the floor. Number two, I want to see what strategies you have right now. And I also want to build strategies so that, you know, you get a, anyone over 70, I think we'll both agree. They should be doing twenty, at least twenty bodyweight squats per day to try and work towards a good squat technique and get up and down off the floor ten times. Like mm-hmm. those two things can literally change their life if it prevents a hip, you know, falling and breaking a hip, which you know has a fifty percent survival rate after one year, which is an insane stat. Um, and they can avoid that by getting up and down off the floor every day. That's very powerful. So what we just did there is is break the fear of movement. And I think that's a big underlying theme of what we try to do with Mm -hmm. young people, old people, uh, anywhere in between is like a lot of people these days are, are fearful of using their bodies or moving, right? Um, Whether they know it or not, some people are overtly 
fearful and they're they're like you know the elderly person who clearly says oh i'm not going to do any of this because i'm literally scared of it yeah or the person who just doesn't want to enter a gym because they're they're scared of it but they don't want to admit it mm-hmm. so if we can break this fear of movement it goes a long way and then that way people can you know live not only lives um where they're where they're safer um, and more resilient but it also is more enjoyable because it's the same person who who didn't step into that gym or or didn't water ski at the cottage because they were they were afraid of movement yeah. now you're breaking that so they're able to enjoy their life more through movement right um and again we're, we're we've not even talked really about the pain that they came in with in the first place mm-hmm. again that's the byproduct um but oftentimes it's the same reason why they're getting that pain that we're addressing in the meantime by working on their mobility and movement right yeah so that's kind of like you say it's just like a, a pain is just the symptom that we're going to deal with along the way but mm-hmm. it's these bigger important factors that we really want to concentrate on and i think the other day i was i can't remember where I heard it might have been on a podcast or I might have had a conversation with someone, but the term palliative came up and I've always looked at palliative care as, you know, you see it in the hospitals that you do placements in palliative care is end of life care where you're just trying to get someone to be comfortable um, because they're, you know, they have a terminal illness or whatever the case may be. But I looked into the definition of palliative and I have it pulled up right now. And it says in the context of medical care, it's relieving pain without dealing with the cause of the condition. And it made me think like our fucking medical system is palliative. Like our physical therapy right now is palliative. We deal with the knee pain. We don't deal with why the knee pain happens. And that's, you know, our clinic is all about um, an effective treatment for that matter should revolve around addressing the root cause of why something's happening, right? Instead of zoning in on the area of pain and micro mobilizing or ultrasounding the, the tissue that's hot and irritated, find out why is that tissue getting overloaded in the first place? And I think our biggest kind of shift in terms of our IOs opening in our clinic and, and both on the medical side with the sport med docs that treat there and also on the physio um, physio side is let's treat why these things are happening instead of just treating the byproduct in terms of the pain or the uh, damaged tissue area that are getting punished because of, of the root cause, right? Like we need to get away from a palliative model of health, um, of healthcare. And, and I think it boils down to the fact that the, you know, the motivation for going to treating the root cause, I think, is low because there's a lot of money in disease. There's a lot of money in people being sick. Um, and, and you know, and our, our traditional education systems are very good at treating symptoms, very poor at diagnosing or finding out what is the root cause. And it's all, you know, our, our approach is, I think in one word, you could call it movement, right? Like we're teaching people how to move better or improve the quality of their movement. Um, because so many we're under constant attack from things whether it be footwear whether it be overdosing on sitting that are constantly attacking our movement quality and so like we said you improve someone's movement and getting out of pain is a side effect that happens quite quickly often um, to get there but that's that's the goal and and uh, and yeah shifting away from this palliative this crappy palliative model that is used so commonly in healthcare is is I think that's a big paradigm shift that needs to happen and if if we can actually hit the the get the there's a trickle down effect that happens um and it's like almost a cascade that can happen with some people where their entire health is improved if you can improve you can find the first thing or two that you can implement and then from there you get um you know other things improving so you already talked about the sleep so if you can mention that sleep to them uh if you can get them not sitting cutting their sitting in half or reducing it by 25 percent um implementing a walk daily for 10 minutes something like this small um, tangible small, things that small are things that you can get them to do and then it's like oh that leads to them being a bit happier um it leads to them sleeping better mm-hmm. the sleep leads to them feeling better all of these things are all connected and it's really there's only a few 
simple pillars to health that we can actually help people with. And it doesn't have to be just limited to the movement, but uh, movement's a great way in because it allows you to actually affect all these other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you it, can immediately deal with the pain, which is what, you know, at the end of the day, it's fine to say we're going to address your movement restrictions, but people come to us because they're in pain. And so, exactly. um, you know, changing how they acknowledge pain, I think is a big one, right? Like we've started to talk a little bit about pain science in our seminar now with the Foot Collective. And I think explaining to people, putting into context, what is pain? Okay, because people look at pain as this annoyance or something that's um, stopping them from doing their sport or something that needs to be killed with painkillers or hidden uh, with some sort of drug. And it's like pain is an extremely important signal. Use that signal as feedback from your body that it's a call for change, right? And I think that's another thing that we've implemented in our practice that I never used to do is just explaining the context of what pain is. Because something that we take for granted of, of knowing pain, I think nobody really understands pain right there's a reason people are still taking a bunch of drugs every day to try and have no pain whatsoever and we're just, scared of it we're, yeah. we're really scared of it we want to kill it and we're not using killers. it we're not using that very important <laughs> signal it's like by the end of a session my goal is to have people look at pain in the, in the context of ooh, this is a useful signal when i get a little bit of pain you know personally when i get a little bit of pain i kind of like it it's showing me an inefficiency of something i need to work on um, yeah and it's a window into the body communicating to you saying there's a problem here, deal with it, or else it's just going to get worse. I think for a lot of people, what pain does is it puts them in more of that um, fight or flight stress state. And it's just, it's almost like, oh my God, I can't think anymore because this pain's here. Oh no, mm-hmm. pain. And it's just like, it's an attack to their body, right? And, and they don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people aren't helping them deal with it. So it's like, we almost got to reframe what it is because then you can start to think more logically about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're not in that like fight or flight state about it, it's like, okay, let's just break this down for you. Um, and I think once people like frame about it, frame it, think about it, um, they can put it into a category and say, okay, well, here's here's some reasons why I might be ha- in pain right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's some steps that we can take to get out of it. But just like having the conversation gets you out of this. It's like almost dropping down into a more relaxed state so we can actually converse about it mm-hmm. as opposed to being like, oh, crap, let's, uh, oh, oh, no, was it painful when you did that yesterday? Let's cover it up. Yeah. Uh, take your Advil, take your Advil. And it's like we're so quick to do all of these things to block it out right away. Yeah. We just need to like have the conversation, figure out why it's there, and then just implement strategies. Okay, you're in pain. That's fine. We got to tell people it's not going to kill you, mm-hmm. right? It's fine. Um, and that's important. Like, their locus of control of whether, like, simple factors. Like, do they understand why the pain is there? If they don't understand why it's there, then it, the pain's going to be worse. Mm-hmm. Why? Because their brain still thinks there's a threat going on. Um, do they have a tangible pathway of what they can do to address the pain? If they don't, if they don't know what it is, it could be some catastrophic injury. It could not be. They have no idea because yeah. pain is actual or perceived uh, damage, right? Pain does not equal damage. And I think that's another thing too. When you dissociate, okay, this movement hurts you. It doesn't mean you're doing damage to your body every time you do that movement. It just means we have to change that movement. So yeah. giving them an education of why the pain's there, what they can do to address it. You know, I've had some sessions, they're pretty rare, but some sessions where someone comes in and all I do is talk with them for 30 minutes. And that's all we do almost. Mm-hmm. You know, we might do 10 minutes of movement or something like that, but... Um, that is that gives them value because I just all you're doing is educating them. Okay, this is a normal response. Let's is there things in your life life stressors that are increasing your susceptibility and your threshold to being in this state of pain? And just addressing and educating people is so powerful when it comes to pain that it's it's something I do find myself doing more and more and more of because it's so tangible to every single injury we see in clinic and even beyond that. And giving them yeah, and you're right. And if you can give them like tangible strategies and also the confidence um your clinical confidence that they they will and can get out of pain if they do the work and i think that 
part of that comes from back to kind of what's changed is that like me, myself, my physical practice has, um, I've been through ups and downs. I've been through periods of pain. Um, but knowing that every time something little happens, you get a tweak, you get an injury, Mm -hmm. um, you get better at dealing with it yourself. You can kind of frame that pain and, and you realize like, okay, here's how I got through it. Um, here's how, you know, I've seen my past patients get through it you're going to be good because I've seen this uh, pattern, right? It's exactly. all pattern recognition. Exactly. Tell so it's like, you've okay, seen it before. I've seen this a hundred times before. Um, I've seen a person walk in just like you. Um, we're going to figure out strategies to get you out of this. And once they feel that from you too, it's like a feeling thing. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I trust this person that we can get through this. And again, mm-hmm. that that alone calms their pain down because yeah. it's like, okay. And then once they have that in their mind too, they're better at dealing with it not in the future, right? Yeah. So so they get a back tweak a year after they came to see you. And it's like, okay, well, I've been through this before. It's not a catastrophe. Um, here's what we did last time. It worked. Mm-hmm. We can kind of, it, it's, it's, it's never fun. It's, it's yeah. never, uh, but it, it's something that you're going to get through. And in the end, it's going to be something that is a, a short-term thing that happened. It's not going to be something that yep. it lasts and a lot of people too when people define themselves as the person with the bad back the bad knee once they have a, a, an injury or um, they they get into pain they almost think that they're that's it that's what they're going to be now they're like oh shit i'm getting i'm getting older um oh fuck my my knee is bad right or yeah i have um, lost oh my i got a bad back or a tricky yeah. back or and i think the medical system really has done a shitty job at like medicalizing people where when someone goes into a doctor's appointment or a physio appointment they leave knowing that i have blah 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 itis or this and this osis or i am osteoarthritis like it's a, you know they leave seeing the diagnosis but not seeing any clear path of management you know when someone comes in i'm starting to give you know if someone requests and says i want to know what my diagnosis is i'll tell them but i almost never tell them a specific diagnosis you know if someone comes in with knee osteoarthritis i say your knee joint's irritated because it's being overloaded. Let's find you have a knee dysfunction. You know, that's what I write in my charts now. Hip dysfunction, knee dysfunction, movement dysfunction, whatever it might be. Because the diagnosis really is just a label. And if you put the label on someone, they internalize that label. And all of a sudden, it's this weird word of some disease that they have, which they don't quite understand. And that, I find, facilitates their pain, right? If someone mm-hmm. says, you have moderate degenerative osteoarthritis or the medial compartment of your knee, that is Chinese to them, but it sounds negative, right? It's, a, it's like you have this crazy word disease and that's what you got. That's Deal with it. That's what you have for the rest of your life. And they're not told anything of, okay, you have this knee irritation because your knees are getting overloaded because your hips aren't working. Let's find out how to get your hips working. And yeah, we might not be able to change the cartilage of your knee, but you don't need to change cartilage of your knee to get out of pain and make sure that that cartilage isn't getting punished for the rest of your life. So, you know, we really have to get away from this medical model where we give a diagnosis and put a label on someone over to a model where we say, okay, there's an issue going on here, but the problem's not there. Here's what the problem is. Here's how to deal with it. That instantly is a frame shift in that person's like consciousness, not just in that point in time, but like for the rest of their life. It's super weird. Yeah. You're almost like shattering somebody when you're, when you tell them like, okay, now you have, you have arthritis now. So, but it's really like, okay, the education goes way deeper than that. That's the least of their what they need to know. Um, it's like, okay, well, what are we? What is it? First of all, what does this actually mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, how am I going to actually get through it? And then, what does it mean for the rest of my life? Like, yeah. it really doesn't mean. Like, it is what it is. Like, you have it doesn't mean shit. It doesn't really mean scheme. anything. Everyone's body is like as you get older, um, your body 
just just to be truthful, your body will break down. Um, you you will die, right? So so it's a matter of what you do in those living years mm-hmm. uh, to make to make your machine run as smoothly as possible. Yeah. And you can make your machine run for a hundred years if you do the right stuff. Exactly. Like people don't understand that they assume they assume there's like this trajectory of breakdown as we get older. Like it seems to me like it starts at forty. Yeah. Now people are saying, "Oh exactly. yeah, I'm forty now. I'm getting older. My knees are getting tricky." It's like, do you know that that's not normal? Do you know mm-hmm. that whatever's going on right now can be reversed, especially if you're 40? Like you're not yeah. even halfway through your life. I think it's very, I think it's very realistic to say that by the time you know we're 30, by the time we're at the end of our life, we should hit triple digits. Like that will be a normal realm for someone that's lived a healthy, educated life, is eating the right stuff, is sleeping. We should get to 100 without severe mental breakdown, without yeah. severe body breakdown, without friggin' metal joints everywhere in our body. And then, like, so I don't think people understand that they can actually improve their mobility as they get older. They yeah. can actually improve their movement quality and control as they get older. Um, absolute strengths. For a lot of people, that would lay, that would lay true, too. Now, if you're talking about absolute... You can absolute, maintain absolute, it at minimum. You can maintain it, but a lot of people who, who have never been in the strength realm can still improve it over time, too. For sure. Um, I, you know, if you're talking about strength athletes, well, yeah, you're not going to be a high-level strength athlete um, at, at 50 compared to what you were at 30, but... Um, all of these metrics can improve over time, over decades even. Um, your general health can improve over time. Your mm-hmm. diet can improve over time. Um, all of these, all of these things come together to make you, you in twenty years can be a healthier version of you now. Uh, and I think people don't understand. They're like, well, wait, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be fifty in twenty years. Shouldn't I be? I'm getting old at that point. It's like, yeah, you can be more vibrant, move better. Mm-hmm. All of these things combined. Yeah. Um, so getting that message across to, to people is very, very important. Because, like you say, once it, once they feel, it's like they they see this decline where they feel this decline, and then once it happens, they think it's going to be a continual decline from there, like this trajectory into like sickness, disease, and eventual mm-hmm. death. But again, but again, if they can. I think people just don't know what's possible with their own bodies and with their own health. And part of what we need to do is just educate them on that, uh, but actually just like show them that. Mm -hmm. And part of that is actually being a good model for them too, right? Because set set an example. You really got to set an example. You got to live, if you're going to be in this field as a doctor, as a physical therapist, as anything, you got to live, you got to show by example, lead by example um, and and tell them your story. Because once you can relate your story to them and show them like, yeah, this is possible too. It's very, very important. So I think, um, and and that's another thing I've realized over the past three years um, since we started in, in the new place is just. I want to work on myself daily so I can actually mm-hmm. be better with it's it's it sounds almost like you're you're doing it for uh personal reasons but it's like the, the better I can live the more strategy I have to help other people yeah. right uh and I and I the what I learn day in day out is, is stuff I can implement with with everyone I see so for sure and even like the other day I had uh, a guy I think he was almost 70 let's say he was 70 and he said you know I know I'm getting old my body's breaking down I just want to live a life where I can play with my grandkids and go on the ground without having to worry about not being able to get up and i told him like you know what where you're at right now at 70 is basically a snapshot that has taken into account the way you've lived up until now if you're getting poor sleep if you don't move if you sit a lot right now if you don't eat very good food at 70 if you change those factors you will be significantly healthier have less problems with your body be mentally more sharp at 80 than you are at 70 if you change the way you live 
And it's really not these big drastic changes that you have to make. It's make sure you prioritize an eight-hour window opportunity to sleep every night. Make sure you're eating foods that you're designed to eat, that your body's designed to process. Um, make sure that you have a movement practice for maybe 20 minutes a day. Uh, you know, my job is to guide you on what to put into that 20 minutes, but make sure you're moving 20 minutes a day. You're trying to improve your movement. And I think for and him, moving he, more often too, right? Yeah. And he just didn't think. So two things. He didn't think his body could improve anymore. So the minute you educate him and give him logic, a rational you know, reasoning as to why your body can change because it reacts to whatever you expose it to, that changed, that significantly changed his mind and motivated him. Okay, I can actually work on this. Number two, when he retired, he sat. That was the bulk of what he did. He sat down, he played cards, he sat and talked to friends. He stopped moving when he stopped working. If anything, when you retire, you have an immense amount of of time now yeah. to work on this stuff like what better time to work on your body than when you no longer have to work than when you're no longer exposed to being forced to sit at a desk <clears throat> and i really think that got him extremely excited to, to think okay this what better time to work on my movement and to work on my health than when it's going to matter most in the next 20 years of my life and when i have way more time to do it with <laughs> exactly and that like that's it's just a shame i've seen that like same story um with a lot of people who've come in and it's like they've reached the ages of retirement. They've just like busted their ass their whole life. Uh, finally, when the time comes to retire, then it's like, <laughs> I'm just broken down. I'm going to sit in a chair and I'm so going to watch my TV. And it's like, well, you know, 20 years ago and worry when you started your career, your story that you were telling yourself is I'm going to bust my ass now so that I can enjoy my retirement so I can travel the world so I can do all of these things. Yeah. And it's like time comes and you're just, you've got two artificial knees and you are, you think your time is over, but it really isn't. And, and you want to, and, and that, again, if you can get people before, like you really need to get, health starts as soon as you can get to it. Like yeah, you can always, exactly. the message is you can always improve and your body changes at whatever age you are, but the quicker you get at it, that is going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. So if you can catch these things and start when you're, when you're 15, mm-hmm. when you're 20, this is going to add up over a lifetime and make your your age 70, the 70 year old version of yourself, a lot better. Mm-hmm. But um, really, it's just a matter of like we want to get people so they can actually enjoy their life through movement primarily um, at any age um, and not be afraid to do the things they need to do. And like eventually, that's gonna you know that's actually what's gonna be what saves them too from these things like uh, hip fractures and, and all these other things that happen as a result of of losing your way with movement, losing your balance, losing your coordination, your mobility. For sure. Um, so yeah, I think it starts early, but you can change at any age. Yep, I agree. Let's let's kind of we're about 35 minutes in so let's kind of do the last part of this by just talking about the general kind of framework that we use when we're treating people in in clinic and I think one thing that really resonated with me and that I kind of use to organize my thoughts when I'm working with someone and and creating a plan or figuring out what this person needs um, was kind of this trio of things that I, I think I got it from Greg Cook I'm not I think he was the first one to mention it but protect correct develop and this is something that we wrap up our TFC seminars with it's something that we kind of mentioned throughout um but I think it's a powerful, those are powerful three words because it really helps organize things. So protect, correct, develop is kind of the sequence you go through when you're trying to help someone improve their health. So number one is protect. And that's protect from the things that are causing you to get in trouble in the first place. So let's give an example in the context of feet. Someone comes in and they've got extremely, um, they got painful feet, they got plantar fasciitis, they got blah, 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 osis somewhere. Um, their feet are not working. They have a foot dysfunction. And they come in, um, you know, what... 
for me, the biggest protect with feet, um, and this can be applied to kind of any body part, but the biggest protect with feet is chairs and shoes, right? Are you wearing shoes that are destroying your feet, that are creating stiffness, that are creating artificial support so that your muscles atrophy? Um, any other kind of elements of protect that you think of with feet? Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. Um, you know, it's just like, hey, you're coming to me f- to treat your feet but you're you're wearing a pointed dress shoe with a heel on all day long and you're sitting in a chair bent over on a computer so it's like okay well we got to address that first that's the elephant in the room because it doesn't matter if you give them all the right stuff all the perfect exercises all the perfect mobilizations to fix themselves if they're spending 30 minutes a day working on getting their foot moving strengthening uh their foot opening up their hip to counteract the effects of sitting but then they're going back and doing the same shit that's damaging them in the first place Mm -hmm. you're not going to get anywhere or it's going to take you significantly longer to get there and you know i don't think people are doing that on purpose but the conflict of interest in the physio or or health treatment world of the shittier i am at my job and the longer it takes you to get better the more money i make it's such a weird system right like if you see people for three visits because you've educated them you've spent more time with them you've empowered them to understand what they need to do at home you get paid for three visits if you put someone through the treadmill of okay we're gonna do ultrasound every time you come in you're going to get 15 minutes with me. We're going to do a little bit of massage to control the symptoms. And you see someone three times a week for 12 weeks and you see them for 30 sessions and you get paid for 30 sessions. Why does the incompetent practitioner get paid (laughs) 10 times more than the person who actually gave someone a tangible benefit and empowered them to understand their body? Like it's, it's just such a weird system. So protect is educate them about how your hips being stiff from sitting affect your feet. Educate them about how the shoes you're wearing every day are, are contributing to the problem with your feet. So protect them. And, and I think really protect is all education-based, right? I think you probably agree. Is like teach someone about the things that get them into problems so that they can understand that, they can modify their lifestyle to address those problems, and then we can get onto the correct. Then we can actually fix the issues, right? Because getting someone on the path to... Protect, I would say, can also be like do what they're doing. So it's like, hey, uh, my, my feet hurt or uh, my knee is, you know, irritated right now. Um, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm running uh, 15 kilometers five times a week right now. Very uh, true. It's like, okay, well, okay, when does it hurt? Okay, well, after I run. Well, it's like, okay, well, let's take a step back. Let's look at the big picture here because what you're doing right now may mm-hmm. not be the best short-term solution to you getting out of pain true um so what are you doing in your in the in the gym right so so a lot of these people you're you're on this pattern of of things you're you're doing in your in your environment not only at work but in your extracurricular activities or exercise program or whatever it is um so you just got to like again it takes that take that long-term approach correct them from what may be currently doing hey maybe in in Three months from now, you'll be back to running the same businesses and more. But right now, we need to put this problem out. We need to address what's causing it. So you might have to to back off your training. You might have to back off uh, whatever it is that's currently contributing to your um, to your symptoms. Right. Yep. So protect against the external things like footwear and, and and chairs by giving people strategies and putting it into context. Just saying, like, okay. You know, how much sitting you do do you do during the day? And people always lowball the crap out of that. It's crazy when you actually go through, okay, did you know that sitting at, at a meal is sitting? Do you know that sitting in your car is sitting? Sitting at meetings, sitting at work, sitting on the couch the other day. Like this sitting accumulates. So just bringing it into their consciousness about how much sitting they do and the consequences of spending time in a chair with your hip at 90 degrees and how that affects your hip mobility. Um, so protect, protect them against those things. Educate them, help them have strategies to change that. 
correct by actually giving them the right advice on movement and mobilizations, right? Um, offset the effects of sitting on the hip, reclaim your hip extension, uh, remobilize your foot, unstiffen your foot from a lifetime spent in shoes that essentially stiffen them up. And then I think that, and then that would be more, um, you know, I would, I would look at how somebody is moving. So just some baseline movements, their squat, their single leg stance. Can they hinge? Can they hinge? All these things, um, their, their passive mobility. How are your hips moving? How are mm-hmm. your ankles moving? Um, so that's where we can actually assess and, and that's where you need to assess in order to correct, right? Cause or else mm-hmm. you won't know what you're correcting. Yeah. So, um, you know, we would look at that and then we would start to correct that these things that we found objectively from the assessment, the movement mm-hmm. or mobility assessment. Um, and then we can get along the way to developing. And once we start to develop, I mean, you can go down two roads at once. Usually you can be correcting as you start to develop mm-hmm. at the same time. Yep. Uh, but again, we don't want to develop uh, more. Basically, we don't want to develop horsepower uh, on top of something that's Dysfunctional. So a lot of times yeah. we have to kind of step back and say, okay, we need to get that movement back in your hips or, mm-hmm. or any body part that we're so that we can then train it better in a more functional way. So, um, but yeah, going down both. And then, so I'd say that developing is just once they can actually have a baseline amount of mobility, they can move well enough that they're not a risk factor for injury. Mm-hmm. Then we start to develop capacity via loading them, adding, um, you know, time or endurance components fitness yep. components onto their onto their movement practice or whatever it might be whatever they want to develop and yeah. that's where you're just continuing to develop resiliency and and you know it, it's one of those things like as an example someone comes into the clinic with back pain they're not done with us when they're out of pain they're done with us when they're out of pain yeah but when they can deadlift half their body weight for five reps from the floor because it's no good to get someone out of pain and feeling good and then the minute they pick up a uh, you know, a stack of five papers from the ground, they destroy their back again. It's like, okay, get them out of pain, but also teach them the fundamentals of how to move so that when they live their life and have to pick up their grandchild or have to pick up their dog, they at least have a strategy for loading that. Like the craziest shit is when people come in and they're like, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so told me never to deadlift. It's like, what? Totally never deadlift. How do you pick up something from the floor? How do you pick up a bag of salt from the floor? How do you pick your groceries up? You deadlift, right? And I think dead, the term deadlift is very intimidating and, um, you know, calling it the health lift, I think is, has been powerful for me because it's like telling people, this is how you lift without compromising your back. Cause you're going to have to lift shit every day. You have to lift stuff, whether you acknowledge it or not. So you may as well have a strategy for how to do it. You know, there's a reason 80 year old women come in and they leave being able to deadlift because it's important. It's fundamental. Yeah. The more physical capacity you, you develop on top of good movement and mobility, the safer you are in the environment. So mm-hmm. it comes down to that. And like the safer you are, the less chance of getting injured you are, um, you know, the healthier you are. And then the more things you can do after that. But it really comes down to the more, more capacity equals safety for yeah. a lot of people. And it's exactly. the, people perceive it as the opposite. They think that, oh, if I go to the gym, I, you know, or if I try to do these, these lifts or whatever, if I start loading, I might get injured. I'm scared I might get injured. But mm-hmm. really just showing them the right way of doing things, give them the, the fundamentals and then give them the, the confidence that they can do it. And then they're, they're off to the races from there. Yeah, like a workout routine or going to the gym, I always tell people it's not, okay, maybe people want to look good naked or be strong or build muscle. But at its base premise, go to the gym to develop good patterns. Go to the yeah. gym to offset the crappiness of daily life and the positions you get into um go to the gym to make sure your machine works with us your life above everything and all the other stuff is secondary right if you want to build muscle or look good naked or play a certain sport that's fine um but go to prevent yourself from breaking down that's the Mm. primary reason and i think 
you know, this protect, correct, develop thing. Correct, I think, um, is, you know, protect, I think, is hardly being done. Correct is being done in, in the rehab realm, and it's being done, I think, globally on a pretty poor level. And then develop is being done in the training and fitness realm. And so, you know, I think our clinic has, we've gotten to the point where we cover all three now because it's really a blurry line, right? I think if you looked at the average physical therapy visit that you and me do with people, and you didn't tell people we were a, pers- um, a physical therapist, they would think we're a personal trainer because mm-hmm. the bulk of what we work on is movement. And, and you know, we've even gotten in this whole performance physio realm where it's basically personal training delivered by a physio in the context of a physical therapy appointment because that's what it is, right? Teaching someone how to deadlift is physical therapy. You don't have to be injured or messed up in order to see a physical therapist to learn how to move. And I think that's yeah, exactly, with yeah. this big stig- stigma that we're starting to break down now and, and just bringing, you know, medical rehab and training all under the same roof and making sure that the lines between each of those are blurry because they should be it's all the same thing exactly we don't need to play word games anymore oh are you a it's almost like you're training people or are you a physical therapist or what like yeah. it just we're just playing games of semantics so yeah, it's, it's all like the same shit. what are we trying to do here we're trying to improve somebody's health inevitably um via in our realm movement and mm-hmm. mobility so it's like well, however strategies we want to take to get that done mm-hmm. uh, it's up to us and and i think that i think that's a part of what people get like stuck there they get stuck in these uh silos these brain almost. yeah and the, these word games um where they don't think they they should be doing that because uh, in their mind, that's what this person does, or what's this? What am I supposed to do mm-hmm. uh, when that? Oh no, that's what that's what the Cairo's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. The Cairo's supposed to, and the, again, Cairo Cairo's another example. I don't want to get onto that topic, but um, a lot of Cairo's are, are treating like physical therapists or like trainers too. So it's like again, it's we should all be looking at the same things. That's exactly that's the big we all got to speak the same language. Like if you can, if you have back pain and you go to a massage therapist or you go to a Cairo or you go to a physio and you're getting totally different treatment something is going wrong there because we should all be on the same page sure maybe person a b and c and different health professionals do it differently right maybe the um, massage therapist spends more time doing tissue work but we should all be getting that person moving better educating them about why they have their pain figuring out what things they're doing in their daily life that are contributing to that and helping them understand how to correct them like if we're not all doing the same stuff and helping that person live a better life, get out of pain, move better, um, then someone there is not doing what they're supposed to do. And, and we can each play a part, problem. too. It's not like we have to uh, you know, fight for us doing everything. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, so as long as we understand that we're all working towards the same goal, maybe you know, I will hand it over to a trainer after I know that this person is, you know, it, first of all, out of pain. We've, mm-hmm. d- we've addressed why they got into pain. It's like, okay, now they want to develop some capacity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, hand them off because maybe they do a much better job than I do. So mm-hmm. it's like we can all play a part in this whole thing. Um, but you got to know that that trainer is not going to undo everything you've done with that person. It's exactly. not going to load them up and do the sexy stuff and the trendy exercises at the expense of letting that person move poorly and start to redevelop poor movement patterns that get get them back into pain. And that's the hardest part is like it's hard to find people that speak the same language as you. I and think it shouldn't what, we, be. what we need to do and what we're doing is developing micro healthcare systems. Yeah. And if you develop a micro healthcare system where you trust every provider within that micro healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, at least in that micro healthcare system, you're getting people better. Um, and then that micro health healthcare system can expand, but we're, we're getting it from the bottom up. And, and that's kind of, that's what we're going to continue to work on yeah. as, as the years go by. And it's like this forever approach of continuing to try and learn, continuing to, continuing to try and be better. You know, I think our personal practices play a big role in that is uh, our personal physical practices. Like when you deadlift, you're always trying to figure out how can I deadlift better? How can I improve my mechanics? How can I improve my own hip mobility? You know, and I think that's 
once you think you know everything, you lose the motivation to learn and try and get better. And I think that's a big drawback for a lot of people, especially people in a teaching environment where you're teaching a certain topic. It's like you can't take this snapshot of what you know now and teach it as the truth forever. It's like that's going to change. With the way I treat might change tomorrow based on feedback I get from someone or something I try in my own personal practice. And you have to be open-minded to changing your mind and, and oh, yeah. accept the fact that you don't know everything and i think it's you know i think ego gets in a way a lot for a lot of people and it's like okay if someone tells you something totally different from what you know you look at it as okay this is an attack on on my way of thinking i have to defend my position and i think it's better to want to learn than to be right and that's a powerful quote you know i think jordan peterson said that but that's that really has a lot more meaning for me now than it used to because it's so true you know i don't care i'll learn from a trainer if it's something that works better than the way i do it i'm gonna do it that way and you got to be open-minded to that. So. Exactly. So anyway, hopefully the, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Hopefully that gave you guys a little bit of a glimpse in, into how we think, how we treat, um, how movement needs to be incorporated into treatment, how we need to get away from this palliative model of healthcare, and how the lines should be blurry between um, you know physicians, physical therapists, trainers. And, and we all need to speak the same language and move towards a system where we're actually helping people. We're not just medicalizing them or getting them in for useless visits or just treating pain because it it there's so much potential in this realm both in training and in medicine and in rehab um and we're we're really not even touching the surface of the true potential of of this kind of realm of health and empowering people and uh i think i probably speak for you too it's very exciting to see this kind of shift that's happening right now we're on i think just the start of this shift but hopefully you know we're going to try and do our part with with continuing to promote this and uh yeah thanks for listening we'll be back um next week with another episode of shop talk um peace